Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, called Principles for Life. Good evening and welcome on this special night, September 11th. Tonight, of course, you know, we've, we've got the flags up here because uh, uh, Donna Maxey actually uh, gave us a couple flags to put up here tonight uh, on loan. And uh, the flag over here has the names of all of those who had fallen on 9-11. And so, and then you just have, of course, the flag over here. And so this is a night where I, I was just thinking in light of this message, it's, it's an interesting thing to, to, to look back and see how our nation responded to 9-11. And when we responded to it, I think we largely responded the way we should have in terms of we tried to get back to God. I know church attendance swelled and uh, people, uh, prayer meetings were attended like they've never been attended before or probably since. And uh, there was, a, of course, a real uh, patriotic spirit. But I think there was a real soul-searching time as well. And we gathered in San, at Santana Park just down the road here, multiple churches. Uh, there was about 5,000 people out there. The Lord gave me an opportunity to share a message that day. And I got to share uh, Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving address from 1863 and got to share from John 14 about the true cure for heart trouble is found in Jesus Christ. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so it was a neat time to just uh, come together and, and see the body of Christ and others uh, remember. And, uh, you know, of course, you look at our country today now, and even though 9-11 occurred, and I'm sure that there were some people that steered their way towards God, um, we do see that we have a nation tonight that, is largely divided, a nation tonight that doesn't really maybe understand completely what its foundation should be. And so, you know, um, there's a psalm that we were reading earlier today, and it talks about when the foundation, well, let's go there. Let's go to Psalm 11. Psalm 11. Just as a note of encouragement before we actually start this message tonight. Psalm 11, Father, as people are locating the text, I just pray that you would bless our time in your word. Uh, We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We pray that you would lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. Encourage the hearts of your people. Bless the teaching of your word and make us pliable in your hands for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Psalm 11, one of the practices that I have tried to undertake in my own uh, journey devotionally is to read the psalm and the proverb that match the day of the month. So if you're one of those people like most of us who sometimes you struggle with what to read that day, you know, you always have pastors telling you, read your Bible, read your Bible, and you're like, what should I do? You know, well, one thing that you could do, and and I'm not saying that you always have to do this, but read the psalm and the proverb that match the day of the month. So this was Psalm 11 from this morning when we did a staff devotional. In the Lord I take refuge, Psalm 11, verse 1. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? 
For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now keep reading. The Lord is in his holy temple. So it's like the psalmist asked the question, if the foundations go away, what can we do? And that's a question that a lot of us are asking in California because of the uh, multiplicity of bills that are coming from this machine of, let's, let's face it, radical liberalism, and it seems like we're, we're powerless to stop it. We were even uh, asking the question, who do you call now to plead your case, right? Who do you talk to in California? It's, it's getting pretty crazy. And we often think of perhaps Psalm 11, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? But let's not stop reading. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. He has not left his throne, folks. No matter what comes our way as a nation and as a people. It's like the psalmist asks the question and then he redirects his gaze to heaven. And what you find in a lot of the psalms in the Bible is that the psalmist will ask difficult, real questions like, what can we do now? We've all been there. What do we do now? Right? And then he refixes his gaze above where it should be in the first place and he says, you know what? God is on his throne. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, he sees what's going on. His eyelids, what do they do? They test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. What an awesome psalm. So I thought in light of 9-11, we could remind ourselves that even though we ask tough questions like, what can we do? It doesn't mean we don't do anything, of course. We need, to, we need to pray. We also need to be as active as we can be. But ultimately, where are our eyes? They're on heaven. And we could even say that this is kind of prophetic in the sense that we read this this morning as a staff just saying it's September 11th, so we'll read Psalm 11. And what does the Lord say in this psalm to us? He tests us. And the very first verse says, I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to flee to the mountains because times are difficult. Because that is a temptation in my flesh, is to run away. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to be the person that has to face this. I don't want to be the voice that has to, you know, stand up and do something. But you know what? We can't run away. Because the Lord tests the righteous. And so right now we're in a time of testing. And may we be found faithful. Now with that in mind, I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. As we look at uh, characteristics of the new life and Tell you what, hold your finger in Ephesians 4 and let me show you a couple things leading up to it. Romans 6 is the first one I want to go to. Romans 6 will kind of set the table or the groundwork for the text. Paul spent the first five chapters of Romans talking about the problem of mankind and then he begins to hit on grace in chapter 3, a great treatise of grace in chapters 4 and 5. And then he says these words in Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be, Romans 6.2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, 
We have been buried with him through baptism into death. And the picture here is of the old nature or the old man, the old person dying with Christ. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now Paul has made sure that we've understood in Ephesians, as we've been studying through it, through this, the richness of our inheritance in grace. He wants us to make sure that we know that we're saved by grace through faith, this not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, it's not by works, so that no one should boast, right? Now we've settled that question. But we, we turned a corner in Ephesians 4 and, and turn over to Romans 13, and Paul gave us that famous word, therefore. And he says, now in light of who you are, this is how you should live, Romans 13. And he gave us this idea of putting on the new man, and we went to this verse to clarify what that means. This is Romans 13, 14. Paul writes, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust." Now, Paul, as he continues with application, he's saying to us, even though you're a new creation in Christ, you still have a battle. You have a new nature. You are born again from above, born of the Holy Spirit, and we have that new nature residing in us, and even the Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. But there's still a part of us that we have to deal with what we know in the Bible is called our flesh. Some people call it our unredeemed, what remains of our unredeemed humanity, uh, I won't debate what, what, how you should define it, but we all know what it is because we all feel it, we all deal with it. Even though we're Christians, we still struggle with conforming our behavior to that which the Lord would have us to do. So keep turning now, go to 2 Corinthians 5. This particular verse explains that a little bit more, this section, and here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, and if you're a Christian, you are in Christ, he is a new creature. Some versions say a new creation, but a new creature is accurate as well. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. Now, for our purposes, even though there's rich stuff, let's skip ahead to verse 21. He made him, 2 Corinthians 5.21, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, go to Ephesians 4 and let me say this. Jesus Christ put on sin so that you could put it off. He made him, God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin. And I've studied this enough to tell you that theologians struggle with what exactly that means. And there's been heresy preached about it. Jesus didn't actually literally become sin. That's impossible. Sin is transgression of the law. Jesus never sinned. Jesus didn't change natures. Some word faith teachers have said, Jesus became a satanic being on the cross. And they say it just like that. Uh, that's heresy. No, he did not. God does not change his nature. But in some deep sense, Jesus Christ put on sin. In a judicial sense, God the Father treated Jesus Christ on the cross as though he had committed the collective sins of humanity for all time. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? 
Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a longtime listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. He made him, God the Father, made him who knew no sin to be sin. And I've studied this enough to tell you that theologians struggle with what exactly that means. And there's been heresy preached about it. Jesus didn't actually literally become sin. That's impossible. Sin is transgression of the law. Jesus never sinned. Jesus didn't change natures. Some word faith teachers have said Jesus became a satanic being on the cross. And they say it just like that. Uh, That's heresy. No, he did not. God does not change his nature. But in some deep sense, Jesus Christ put on sin. In a judicial sense, God the Father treated Jesus Christ on the cross as though he had committed the collective sins of humanity for all time. And he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wore sin, if you will. He put it on that we might put it off. And now that we are in Jesus Christ, we are new creations. And without his death and resurrection, that's impossible. But now it is true. You are new in Jesus Christ. But now you have to live like who you are. And that's the battle that we now have. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, God is working in our lives. Yes, he's going to continue to work. But we have a part to play. And the part to play that Paul talked about is we have to put something off and put something on. And it is more than just a one-time event, even though I would say that this did happen in our born-again experience We still have to battle with it. And here's how Paul explains it leading up to our verses. He says, this is Ephesians 4.21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, 4.22, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so every single day, Michael Lance has to put off Michael Lance and put on Jesus Christ. 
And the biblical image is like clothing. And they, they have a place in homeless shelters where if someone comes in and they've been soiled by a long time on the streets, uh, maybe haven't had a shower in a long time, their, their garments are soiled, they have what's called a delousing room. And they will discard the old garments that have been soiled by their time on the streets without bathing, everything that they've encountered. They'll discard the old garments and they'll give them a shower, cleanse them and give them new clothing. And every day, the believer, more than once a day, has to go to the de-lousing room. You know what I'm saying? I got to get rid of the lousy stuff that holds on to me and I have to cast off the sin that so easily entangles me. Now, we always, as those who study our Bibles, we like detail, we like solutions. You know, companies talk about, okay, we can identify problems all day long, but let's talk about solutions, right? What does this really look like in the life of a believer, okay? Put off, put on, I kind of get the imagery, I understand it, but what does it look like in the life of a believer? Well, I'm glad you asked, because we're about to get the answer. We're about to get some detail on what it looks like when you've put on the new man. We're about to get some detail about what it looks like in terms of the characteristics that follow this process. And it's found in the first verse that we will deal with tonight, which is verse 25. Everything that's come so far has been preamble. That means we haven't gotten to our verses yet, but here we go. Verse 25. Therefore, if you want to know what these behaviors look like, laying aside falsehood. Now what you're going to see is some contrasts in the verses. And what Paul's going to do is now that he's given you the general principle, he's going to tell you specifically what to lay aside and what to put on. And the first thing that he says to lay aside is lying. Lay aside lying. That is not compatible with who you are in Jesus Christ. Your new nature is filled with a God who is called the God of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when God is dominating your life, and that's what godliness is really about, it's a God-dominated life, truth is going to come out. You're going to be more of a truth teller. Now, that doesn't mean that Christians don't struggle with lying. It doesn't mean a Christian can't be backed into a corner and, and say something that's not true. But essentially, a Christian should not be in a pattern of lying. You know, our country is so filled with lies that one scholar said, if people stopped lying tomorrow, our country would probably fall apart. Because so much of the system of the country is built upon lies in courtrooms, from uh, political pulpits, you name it, it flows. We don't know who's telling the truth anymore. And the, the, the church is distinguished from the world by laying aside lying. So if you want to think about the de-lousing room or getting rid of the old clothing, one of the things you need to lay aside is a life of a lie. Now, you can speak lies and you can live a lie. That is what hypocrisy is. It means to live a lie. That's not what God wants us to do. Now, we all struggle with some forms of hypocrisy and we're all works in progress. Have you ever had a renovation project done in your home? Um, Maybe the flooring was redone or the cabinets. You know it can be pretty messy, right? They go in, they have to chisel away, they dig up the old stuff and put in the new. It's a process. So to give you some grace tonight, 
It's a process. It takes time. But God wants truth in the inward parts. And one of the things that he says right from the get-go is if you want to reflect the new nature of the God who lives in you, stop lying. Don't live a life of a lie. Be a truthful person and speak the truth. Here's the positive side. Therefore, lay aside falsehood. And what's the positive? Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, Notice, for we are members of one another. Uh, Earlier in the text, uh, Paul said in verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And so we're not to lie, rather we are to speak truth. Now does that mean that we have to say everything that's on our heart and mind at all times? No, that's not what it means. There are some times when you need to keep a secret. There are times when you just need to be quiet and not say anything. Because sometimes speaking all the truth that's on your mind is inappropriate, right? Now some of you guys are, you know, thinking about when you're asked, how do I look, and that kind of thing. You know, there's, there's times when uh, you just got to deal with reality. And I don't have any advice for you. I'm just going to move on. Anyway, but yeah. It's true. So the reason that we're to speak uh, truth to one another is we are members of one another. This especially relates to the church. This especially relates to the church. And when Paul's giving imagery of the body, he also takes that into marriage. We need to speak truth to one another in our marriages. We need to speak truth to one another in the body of Jesus Christ. If we lie to one another, if we're trying to put it over on somebody, we're not doing anybody any good. And so the the truth of the matter is we need to build ourselves up in love. You've been listening to Principles for Life, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Ephesians 4, 25-32. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Pastor Michael would like you to mark your calendar for August 22nd for our next 633 event. Our 633 apologetic events are free for you to attend, both in person and through our live stream. And we open the floor so you can ask questions too. So if you have not seen one of our 633 events, you can always watch previous ones on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael. Well, we've come to the end of another great week here on Walk in Truth, going through the majestic book of Ephesians. I'll tell you what, it's so packed with such good stuff. And I would just like to take a moment for all of you pastors out there, ministry leaders, all of you who are on the front lines, as it were, maybe you're involved in missions. There's a lot of tough stuff going on right now in the world. And I just want to pray this simple, profound prayer. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his beautiful countenance shine on you. And may he give you shalom. May he give you peace. May he strengthen you, my brother, my sister, with endurance so that you can run and not grow weary, not grow tired in doing good. For in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. So I just want to tell you, Don't lose heart. The Lord is with you. He will never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you.
He will guide you all the way to the finish line and beyond. Well, here we are coming up to another weekend where we have the privilege of joining corporately here in America. On the Lord's Day, on Sunday morning, we do two services at the church that I pastor. It's called Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's in the city of Corona. We've been going through the uh, incredible book of Exodus, and it's been amazing. Two Sunday morning services, 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and we're located at 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. You say, well, where is the church, Pastor Michael? Well, it's right basically where the 91 and 15 freeways meet, but a little bit before that, if you're traveling uh, east on the freeway, at the uh, Lincoln off-ramp off the 91 freeway. The easy way to get driving directions is to go to walkintruth.com and click on the church tab, walkintruth.com. Click on that church tab and you can find out where the church is. Remember, it's 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. And uh, you'll be greeted warmly. It's a dynamic church and I know you'll be blessed. And what you hear on the radio is coming from the pulpit of Living Truth Christian Fellowship on an average Sunday morning. So come and join us. I'd love to meet you. God bless you. And we will see you soon. And one more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations. So praise God. Hey, if you're a longtime listener, please become a partner of at least $5 a month. You can visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, called Principles for Life. I'm Mike Massaro. Hey, have a great weekend, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.